Chapter Twenty of the Pirate Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pirate Woman by Aylward Edward Dingle. Chapter Twenty. Dolores demands a decision. Milo let loose his infernal blast and the smashing report was followed by a hush as of death. Then, through the blinding and choking powder reek, came the groans and shrieks of the mutilated wretches, whose evil fate had placed them in the path of the horribly dispatched treasure. The eye could not penetrate the smoke that filled the narrow rock passage. Stumpy and his men were blackened and smeared with smoke and sweat, demonical to the ultimate degree, and these were the men Milo hurled forth now to make the debacle complete. Out upon them, he cried, urging Stampy to the ledge. Leave not none of these dogs alive, Stampy, and thy fortune is made. Thy sultana will reward thee magnificently. Out with ye. Stampy hitched his poor clubfoot along in brave haste, and flourished his cutlass in a hand that dripped red. For once in his stormy life the crippled pirate felt something of the glow that pervaded the heart of devoted Milo. For a moment he felt he was redeeming himself by enlisting his undoubted courage in a worthy cause. Adam, lads, he roared, leaping down through the smoke. Dolores, Dolores, give him hell, police. He stumbled and fell, his crippled foot playing him fails. He sprang up with a curse of pain, bit hard on his lip, and plunged into the huddled remnants of the attackers, his roaring bullies at his heels. His onslaught was the one thing needed to put terror into the hearts of the survivors of Milo's blast. Coming through the league like so many devils, Stumpy and his crew put their foes to flight and followed eagerly, hungrily. The forest rang and echoed with the clash of action and the smashing of underbrush in panicky flight. Now Milo, his duty to his sultana performed, thought of Pascaret. The little octoroon lay where she had fallen, a pitiful little huddled heap. Never once had her pain-dulled eyes left the giant, or the place where he might appear, and now she saw him coming toward her, not as a ministering angel, but like a figure of wrath, swinging his great broad axe in one hand as easily as another man might swing a cutlass. She shivered as he stood over her, accusing. Milo, she panted, gazing up at his magnificent head in plaintive supplication. Serpent, he replied, and the utter contempt in his voice went to her heart like a sword thrust. Has the God to pray to before I send thy foul soul adrift? I've but one God, Milo. To him I should not pray. She fixed her burning gaze upon him, and in her pained eyes blazed all the tremendous love that accentuated her small being. A girl thou canst no pray to, traitor? Art afraid, then? Not afraid, Milo, 
she whispered, and her eyelids dropped. I cannot pray to one who looks down upon me as thou dost. I? The giant's expression changed to frowning displeasure rather than anger. I? He repeated. Thee, my heart, thought my God my all, for thee I have done this thing, for thee, who even now canst not see where lies the falsity. Milo! Her weak voice sank to a low murmur. I beg thy forgiveness. My love for thee caused me to sin. My life is to pay the supreme price. Let me die at least in thy forgiveness. Forgive? Forgive thee who worked for the destruction of the being I worship? Rather shall I speed thy soul. Pascarette struggled to a kneeling position, crossed her tiny hands on her panting breast and looked full into his eyes as a wounded heart looks at the hunter. Her lip quivered, her small gold-tinted face, once so piquant and full of allure, had taken on a grey hue from her pain, but there was no hiding the great, overwhelming love for the giant that gleamed in her eyes. Milo, she said, and the word was a caress. Milo, if thou must, strive swiftly. Yet again, I ask, forgive. The giant slowly lowered his great axe, and his honest art answered the pitiful plea. His deep chest swelled and throbbed. Into his face crept the look that had been there on that day when he told Pascretti loved her loved her, yet worshipped Dolores as his gods. Letting the axe fall to his elbow by the thong at the haft, he stooped and tenderly picked up the girl, carrying her as a child carries a doll, yet his face was averted from Pascarette's passionate lips that sought to kiss him. Not yet can I forgive thee, he said. Be content that I shall not kill thee, girl. Perhaps, if thy acts have failed in the end, I may forgive thee, not yet. He carried her around to the great rock, and through the passage into the great chamber, bursting in upon a situation of growing intensity. Dolores sat on a corner of the table, with all her seductive lures in her beautiful face, smiling invitingly at Robert Venner. Craig Tomlin glared at both. Yet his gaze seemed hard to restrain from wandering around the gorgeous chamber whose wealth he saw now for the first time. Venner, too, had been seized by the travel hunger, although neither he nor Tomlin guessed at the immensely greater wealth that had been revealed to Purse. As for Purse, he sat glowering in his chair, nervous and smoldering, ready at a hint to draw steel without caring what the object. He simply saw rivalry where fifteen minutes before he had thought his own course clear. Milo appeared to them, carrying his sobbing burden, and the interruption brought a blaze of fury to Dolores' face. She went pale, and her hands clenched and opened nervously. "'Well, slave!' she cried, and Milo started. 
never had she used that tone to him. Sultana, I thought thou wert alone, he replied, haltingly. I have brought Pascaret to thee for forgiveness. I forgive? Pish! What care I for thy chit? Take her where ye will, and trouble me not with such trash. Out now! Let me not see her face again, and I care not what ye do with her, but haste. I have work for thee and a score of slaves. Bring them here quickly. Silently Milo bore Pascaret to the small room beyond the great chamber, which had been her resting place while not in attendance on Dolores, and there, still shaking his head to her plea, for with deepening trouble in his eyes he left her, crying herself into a fitful slumber. Then, with slaves dragged from the corners, where they had cowered during the fight, he entered the great chamber, and at Dolores' command set them to carrying out the closed treasure-chests that stood in the old places around the walls. And the sight of the great chests actually going out brought fiery jealousy back to the eyes of the three yachtsmen. Now Dolores half closed her own inscrutable eyes and watched them, cat-like, cunning. Purse sprang from the great chair and began pacing the floor in a heat. Venner alone seemed to retain any vestige of control over his feelings, and he rapidly lost his collar and began to peer about him. One chest went out, and the cries of the slaves could be heard as they lowered it over the cliff. They returned for another, and now Dolores leaped to her feet and followed them, flinching over her shoulder a smile of invitation. Purse answered instantly, the others paused. Then she laughed like a siren and held out her hands to the resistant ones and said softly and pleasantly, Have no fears, timid ones. Thy minds are indeed hard to fathom. I but want to show thee how I am preparing thee for thy sufferings here. Come. They followed her and together they entered the rocky tunnel. At the end of it the yellow sunlight blazed like a fire. In the circular aperture was framed a picture of wonderful beauty. The blue sky, flecked with fleecy cloudlets, filled the upper half of the circle. Then the sparkling sea of deeper blue lifted its dazzling whitescape to the kiss of the trades and formed a gem-like background for the brazen sands, the glowing green and purple of the point and the dainty ivory and gold of the white schooner. It was all mellowed and diminished as seen through a glass at a great distance, and on the shore the men toiling to load a great treasure chest into a longboat looked like tiny mannequins posed about a delicate model of marine life. The second chest yet stood on the cliff edge, slaves about it lashing double slings and tackles that led from a boulder for lowering it down. Dolores stepped back, permitting the three men to take in the view without restriction, and she watched them again, her face enigmatic, if they glanced at her, breaking into an expression of nearing triumph, then they looked away and left her free to scrutinize them. She saw John Purse step a pace behind the others, 
and his fingers clutched absently at his rapier hilt while the veins on his neck stood out and throbbed like live things. One more chest, perhaps two, and I shall see who will be my man, she whispered to herself. Then she left him without a word and returned to the great chamber, where she snatched up an immense rope of pearls and resumed her seat on the edge of the table. There she sat, giving them no glance, when the three men came back hastily, uneasily, one behind the other, with Tomling bringing up the rear, scowling at Venner's back malevolently. Idly now Dolores rolled her pearls on the table, and one by one she crushed them with her dagger hilt crushed in one moment the wealth of many a pity princeling and still crushed gem after gem without so much as a flicker of interest on her cool face the three men glared at her and at each other and the stress they were under could be felt like an impending electric storm tomlin's teeth gritted together harshly his lips were dripping saliva and he could stand it no longer he stepped suddenly before dolores seized her hands and cried woman you're mad do you know what those things are they're pearls woman pearls stop this crazy destruction and in god's name let us go before you madden us dolores turned her cool gaze upon him drew her hand away easily yet without apparent effort and crushed another pearl between her gleaming teeth. Pearls, she repeated, tossing away the shattered gem. Pearls, yes, friend. What of it? Do ye valor these trifles, then? Pish! I have such things as these, eh? One for every hair on thy hot head. But let ye go. Ha! That is in thy hands, my friend, thine and thy companions. Yes, we know your price, gasped Venner hoarsely, staring full into her eyes. But what is to prevent us now, when we have you alone, and that great giant is away, from binding you fast and sailing away with the treasure you have already put in my vessel? What can prevent? she echoed, simulating surprise that such a question should occur to anyone. Nothing shall prevent, my friend. If any of you think to try it, have I not say my treasure is for the man who wins it? Am I not waiting for the man able to take it, that I may go with him, too, here? She suddenly flung down the pearls at Tomlin's feet, glided close to Venner, and thrust her red lips up to him, her violet eyes like brimming pools behind her dropping lashes. Here, tie me, my Rupert. Here are my hands, there are my feet. Bind me well, and go if thou canst. What? Wilt thou not? There, I knew thee better than you knowest thyself. She stepped back with a low laugh, and her arm brushed his cheek, sending the hot blood surging to his temples. John Purse crouched toward Venner, as if waiting for him to lay a finger on Dolores at his peril. She smiled at all three and stepped over to the side of the chamber, where she carelessly pointed out sacred vessels and altar furnishings, gems of art and jewel-crusted lamps. Here also is a reason why ye will not go, my friends. 
your eyes accustomed to these things in the great world outside they are not ignore their worth and i tell you that all the treasure now going to the vessel could not purchase the thousandth part of my real treasure which i will not show until i know my men she glanced at purse as she spoke and saw rising greed in his eyes he had seen the real treasure he was ripe for her hand milon and his slaves returned for another chest and dolores waited until they had gone then she glided swiftly toward the passage and turned at the door i shall return in fifteen minutes gentlemen she said then my men must be ready or i will drop the great rock at the entrance and leave you all three caged here until you die for go i will mated or mateless with all my treasure ere the sun sinks into the western sea and as she left them she flashed a look of appeal at john purse End of chapter twenty